So um, if you're new here, I probably should let you know. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. We're uh, talking about this, this, this series we're calling Homecoming. And I'll get to that in a second. But before I do, I want to tell you about Will, who's my middle son. So Will is my, my second son. Uh, he's got a dream of one day going to film school. He, uh, he just loves movies. He loves watching movies. He loves the idea of constructing movies. He's very creative. He was actually playing guitar here this morning as part of our worship team. And um, so he and I are kind of on this journey together, just appreciating great cinematic movies over the years. So he'll pick one, then I'll pick one, and we'll watch them together. So this week, it's his turn to pick. So we're going to watch 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, it's this classic movie he wants to watch with me. I got to choose a couple of weeks ago, so we watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, so we're really trying to hit some of the major cinematic, you know, brilliant movies and, <laughs> and maybe not so brilliant movies. But um, when Will gets to college to study film, one of the very first things I think they're going to teach him is about the uh, traditional movie arc, they call it, or, or how a movie is structured, the story behind a movie. Now, it can be displayed in many different ways, and uh, we've got a graphic here that just shows one of those ways. It talks about an ordinary world, an inciting incident, rising action. The, the ordeal, the climax. So, so that's kind of how a movie is broken down. And you can see various different, even more complex descriptions, more simple. But if I had to simplify it, it would just be uh, background conflict resolution. Most movies are, are kind of based on that premise that there is a background, a conflict, and a resolution. So I'll give you an example. Here's one movie. The background is there's this kid who lives on a planet called Tatooine. Uh, he finds some droids and he goes on a mission. The conflict is that he discovers there's this bad guy that's building a thing called the Death Star that can literally destroy planets. And then the resolution is that he uses the force, he destroys the Death Star, there's hugs, there's cheers, there's a medal ceremony, there's a giant hairy creature that screams at the end and... Uh, that's the arc. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that movie is because it's a fairly new one. Some of you still might want to see it, okay? But, uh, but if you look, every single movie, you know, they, they've got a similar kind of pattern to them. And it's not just movies, it's stories. This, this series we're talking about is called Homecoming. And uh, the idea is that Jesus told this amazing story of a guy called the prodigal son. And in just the same way, his story followed a similar kind of pattern. The background is there was this son who wanted his inheritance. The father gives it to him and the son leaves and spends all of his money. Then we hit the conflict in the story. The conflict is the son runs out of money. A famine comes. He's stuck feeding pigs. He decides to go and work on his dad's farm instead to try and pay him back the money that it's cost him. And then the resolution is that dad sees him coming Dad runs out to meet him, dad forgives him, and dad welcomes him home. It's a great use of that same story arc that we see today in movies. But then Jesus messes it up. Jesus messes up how a good story should be told because rather than just ending there, he starts a second story in the middle of the first story. He doesn't end on the son coming home. The story continues. And then not only does the story continue, he introduces us to someone else and, and there's some more background. Then there's some more conflict. And then we're going to discover this morning, there's no resolution. Jesus ends the story without any resolution. And today we're going to find out why. 
But to set up what we're talking about today, today we're going to talk about a character in Jesus' story that wasn't happy. So let me ask this question this morning. Who was upset when the son returned? Anyone who was upset? That's right, the fattened calf. He was the most upset. <laughs> little Bible joke there. Um, <laughs> no, it was the older son. If you've read the story of the prodigal I mean, the fattened calf was pretty upset. It didn't end well for him either. But when the prodigal son returned, we learn that it was the older son that instead of celebrating, was upset. So why did Jesus add this part to the story? Well, if you were here the first week, we kind of did a background to the story and I touched on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of it. It's that the reason Jesus told this story, that the, the story of the prodigal son is a great story, but that's not the main person in the story. Because the audience, the people Jesus was speaking to, when he talks about the oldest son's response, it was to challenge the people who he was really telling the story for. Do you remember how Luke 15 started out? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, verses one through three. It said, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. He had this reputation for just welcoming people who didn't normally look like church folk, you know, people who maybe in those days were the outsiders, but Jesus just loved them and they loved Jesus. They would gather around. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law and the church people complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. That was the worst thing you could do is eat because you're almost like acknowledging these are good people by eating with them. So, meaning because of the response of these religious leaders, because of the way they were responding, so Jesus told them this story. So the reason Jesus is telling this story and a couple of other stories about things that were lost is because of the response of these religious people. So let's take a look at this older brother and let's see what point it is that Jesus is trying to make and maybe, maybe even learn a thing or two about ourselves this morning as we look to the older brother and maybe see some of what he's dealing with in our lives. I just picture the scene as Jesus is, is talking. These religious leaders are gathered and he starts to unpack the story and talk about this older brother. Because up till now, I think the religious leaders just thought this was a story about God's love for those who um, were far from him. But I have to imagine that they started to get angrier and angrier the more he talked about the older son. Because they started to realize that they were the older son in the story. And the older son in the story isn't a hero. In fact, we discover he's almost a bit of a villain in his response. And I think they were getting furious at Jesus as he was talking about this. Because there were two very convincing points that Jesus was, was using this story to make against these religious leaders, these Pharisees challenging them that morning. The first was this, the older brother was also alienated from the father. In the story, the older brother was also alienated from the father. So what do I mean by that? Well, we know that the young son was because he left the father. If you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, he took all of his father's inheritance and he left. So we know he was alienated from the father. We also know that that relationship was restored because there came a point in the midst of the pig feeding where he realized this is crazy and he's go back to dad and, and the relationship was restored. But now we learn 
that the older brother was also alienated from the father. Here's how we know this. You see the younger son's home, the fattened calf has been killed. Now that fattened calf didn't get killed for just anything. They saved that in those days. That was what you saved for weddings, visiting dignitaries. When you killed that animal, a feast was going to take place. This wasn't, this wasn't just family dinner, sat around watching TV together. This was a feast. This was the entire village coming to celebrate. This was killing the fattened calf because we're going to feed everyone because I'm so thrilled that my son's come home. So everybody is there. The family, the servants, the, the village. But you know who wasn't there? Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. The older son should have been at the father's side. The older son should have been with the father. The older son should have been celebrating the brother's return, but instead he was far away working in the father's fields. In the background of this second story that Jesus is starting to present, we meet a son who's doing a lot of stuff, but who doesn't seem to have a very strong relationship with the father. We see that even more when he shows up to the party and finds out what's going on. Luke 15, 28 to 30, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So why won't the older brother go into the banquet? Why isn't the older brother willing to celebrate that his younger brother has returned? Well, Jesus makes it very clear. Because he feels like, I've never disobeyed you. I've never done anything wrong. I've, I've been really good. I've been very well behaved. And in that moment... The religious leaders, the Pharisees, us today as the audience reading this story again, we discover that the younger brother was identified as somebody who broke all the rules. But the older brother has now been identified as somebody who kept all the rules. The younger brother was somebody who broke all the rules. The older brother was somebody who kept all the rules. And you might think, well, Dave, that sounds like he was, he was doing it right and the other was doing it wrong. But there's more to the relationship with the father than just keeping all the rules. My wife Casey's here and uh, her and I are so different in many areas. One of those areas is that she is a rule follower to the T. I mean, she, she just wants to follow those rules. Me, I, I'm kind of looking for loopholes every now and again. I'm looking for ways, you know, that maybe, you know, do we have to come to a complete stop or can we just kind of look and if there's no car, you know, I'm, I, I'm that guy. 
That's why I've got so much respect for these people that I came across this week, okay? These were uh, a few examples I found of some people who, who didn't let rules stop them from doing what they wanted to do. Rule number one, this was from a festival. Uh, they discovered that the festival had told this particular food vendor that they weren't allowed to sell drinks, not even bottled water. So on their sign, it says, so we're having an August peanut sale. One dollar will get you one peanut, and included with it is one free bottle of water. <laughs> So that's how they got through the uh, you can't sell drinks rule. Rule number two, I like this one. My friend goes to a school that doesn't allow the opposite sex in their respective dorms. So this is movie night. <laughs> so hey, it's keeping the rules. No females inside the dorm, but they still get to enjoy movie night. I love this one. This is rule number three, and this mum wrote this comment on this picture. Food isn't allowed in the living room. His tablet isn't allowed in the kitchen. He beat the system. <laughs> I quit, is what this mum said. And then how about this one? Rule number four. Look at this. It's like, hey, this is America. No one's going to tell me where I can put my stamp. It says liberty right there on that flag. I'm going to put my stamp where I want to put my stamp. You know, the Pharisees, these people that Jesus was challenging in this message, they were renowned for being rule followers. You see, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but prior to Jesus' life and death, in the Old Testament, in order to sustain a relationship with God, the, the Jewish people, they had this system in place that God had put in place that once a year, they would sacrifice an animal, and it was a different animal depending on um, how much money you had, how much resources. But um, when you sacrifice that animal together on this, this one day of a year, it's called the Day of Atonement, when you do this, it kind of makes things right between you and God. So all the sins, all the bad things you've done, um, by sacrificing this animal once a year, it, it cleared that up. It made things right. God had instituted this system. It was the way the, the Jewish people could still have a relationship with God as, as sinful people, people who did things wrong. This sacrifice helped them stay in relationship with a perfect God. But over the years, these religious leaders and these Pharisees, they didn't feel like that was enough. So they started to come up with these rules of their own. And by the time Jesus came along, they listed hundreds. I mean, they numbered hundreds, these rules. All these man-made rules that they'd come up with. And their motivation in coming up with these rules is if we can do enough good things, if we can follow enough of these rules, if we can check enough boxes, it doesn't matter about that sacrifice thing because we're good enough. We've done enough good to find favor with God. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were rule followers to the T because they wanted to do enough to be right with God. And in telling this story, Jesus is showing his audience, he's showing us today that both sons are lost because both have no relationship with the Father and obviously in turn, no relationship with God. The younger brother, because he broke all the rules. And the older brother, because he thought what made him perfect was that he kept all the rules. I've been doing good all this time. It turns out that the thing keeping him from the father isn't sin, it's his goodness. It's his righteousness. I wonder this morning if any of us here have tried to be good enough 
have felt, you know, I, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to live a good life. So, so I'm going to try and be good enough. I'm going to try and go to church as much as I can. I'm going to give in the offering. Maybe I'll find somewhere to serve. And these are all great things to do. Please don't get me wrong. I, I think these are wonderful things to do. But they should come out of a response to a relationship that we have with the Father that cost us nothing but cost him everything. Because he sent Jesus to die for us and it's a relationship with Jesus that restores that relationship between us and the Father. Not how good we can be, how much we can do. In fact, Jesus points this out in the story in Luke 15, 31. The father talking to the brother said, listen, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. He's saying, you didn't have to do anything. There was nothing you could do to make me love you any more than I already love you. Everything I have is already yours. But you were out trying to do these things, trying to do what was right. And then there was a second challenge that I think he made to those Pharisees and religious leaders that maybe hit even a little bit harder as he was telling this story about this older son. And in it, it reveals the heart of the son. Listen to what he says in Luke 15, 30. We read it a second again, but a second ago. He said, yet when this son of yours comes back. Now you imagine if you've got a brother or a sister talking to your parents and, and you refer to that sibling, yet this son of yours, not your son, not my brother, the older brother says, yeah, this son of yours, that, that reveals to me what this brother really thinks about his younger brother. And I think it reveals to the Pharisees as they were listening that the point of the story is that the older brother didn't care about the younger brother. In this story, Jesus was pointing out that this older brother in the story, he didn't really care about the younger brother. You see, if you're familiar with this, this portion, these stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, he actually tells two stories before he gets to the story of the prodigal son. One is about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, but one of them went missing. And instead of just counting his losses and saying, well, at least I've got 99, the shepherd loved all of his sheep so much that he wasn't happy that even just one was lost. So the shepherd went looking for that one lost sheep. And when the sheep was found, he celebrated. He called everyone in to, to celebrate with him. Then Jesus told a second story. This one was about a widow who had 10 coins and she lost one of her coins. And rather than just chalk it up to bad luck, she, she, she doesn't just look at the nine she's got. She says, no, I want to find the one that was lost. She turns her house upside down until finally she finds that one lost coin. And again, she calls her friends to celebrate. And Jesus is building this, this explanation that that's how much God loves you and me this morning. That before we even went looking for him, he's been pursuing us. He's been looking for you. He doesn't care that there are 99 that are found. If you're still the one that's lost, he's going to keep on looking and looking. And then Jesus tells this third story. And there are some similarities. There's, there is something that is lost. It's the son. There is a celebration at the end. There's a party, just like there was a celebration in the other two stories. But do you know what's missing from this third story? In the first story, there was a shepherd 
who went looking for the lost sheep. In the second story, there was a widow who went looking for the lost coin. But in the third story, there was no one who went looking for the lost son. And I think at that point, the Pharisees realized that Jesus was saying, that was the older brother's responsibility. The older brother should have gone looking for the lost son. He should have gone to him and said, come back. Come, he, he should have searched high and low. It was, it was his responsibility as the older brother to find this lost son and to bring him back into relationship with his father. But instead of not looking for him, he carries on doing what he thinks is right. And then when the young son does return, the older brother doesn't even care. And in that moment, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and the religious leaders, saying, you're judging those who look different than you. As rule-following religious folk, you're looking at these people who are far from God, who don't have a relationship with Him, and you're coming up with all sorts of reasons why they don't belong, why, they don't, why I shouldn't sit and eat with them. But in actual fact, not only should you be loving them and caring them, you, you should be a part of the team that's pursuing them that's out looking for them, that's celebrating when they're found. And I think 2,000 years later, that's the same message that Jesus wants us to hear this morning. As we look at the, the, the older brother and say, God, is there anything of that older brother in me? Is there anything of his heart in me? Seven years ago, 2013, September of 2013, we started Connect Church here in Washington, Illinois. Casey grew up here in Washington, my wife, and we were living here in Washington. We were on staff at a church in Peoria, but we just had such a heart for this community. And in particular, we had a really big heart for a lot of people who called Washington their home, some of these surrounding areas, who didn't have a church home of their own, who didn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. So when we started Connect, it wasn't so that there was another church in town, so people who were going to one church who maybe weren't that happy with it could come to this church instead. That was never our intention. Our intention from day one was to reach people who didn't yet have a church home of their own, who didn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And we saw that happen. We saw people who were like the lost son in the story, who had, who had gone their own way, but had decided it's time to come back to the Father. And they found their way home through Connect Church. And it was so exciting to see that happen. But over seven years, nothing has changed. That's still our priority today. That's still our mission today. Which is why we have to, as a church, we have to fight to hold on to that mission or else we're in danger of just becoming like a group of older brothers. A group of older brothers who sit together thinking about all the things we do and looking with judgment at those outside of the church. So back to the beginning of my message, what I started out today, talking about the story arc. For the lost son, Jesus started out with some background, then there was some conflict, and then he wrapped it up neatly with some resolution. The son came home. But then he goes on to tell this next story. There's some background of this older brother 
who stayed behind and who worked diligently and did all the, checked all the boxes, followed all the rules. But then there's some conflict. We find out that his relationship with the father is just as damaged and broken as the younger son's. And then listen to the last verse of Luke 15, verse 32. The dad's talking to the son. He says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And that's the end. Jesus leaves him hanging. There's no resolution to this story. He messes up the classic storytelling arc. He doesn't close out the story. And I think the reason he left it that way is because he was presenting this to these religious leaders, the primary audience of this story and the other two stories before, and he's basically saying to them, how will the story end? You tell me. You show me how the elder brother will respond to this news because you are the older brother. You have the choice now to decide. These people I'm hanging out with, that you look down your noses at, these tax collectors and sinners who you don't think are worthy enough, how are you going to respond from this point forward? Sadly, we get to find out, thanks to history, how they responded. One of the other guys who wrote about the life of Jesus, Matthew, talks about these Pharisees and these religious leaders and their response a little bit later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. They had a chance to change, to to understand what it meant to, to have a great relationship with God. It's not about following all the rules and checking all the boxes. We'll never be able to follow enough rules. It's about a relationship with the Father. And because it's about a relationship with the Father, it doesn't matter if you're the son who ran or the son who stayed. We can both have that relationship with the Father because he wants to initiate the relationship. And in that moment, the Pharisees, they could have changed, and some did, but most didn't. And they plotted to kill Jesus. So as I close this morning... Let me ask you the same question that Jesus left hanging there for his audience. How will your story end? How will the story end for you this morning? If there's some of the older brother in you this morning, if you're looking on thinking, I feel like I respond sometimes like the older brother, how will the story end for you? Because whether you're the son who ran or the son who stayed, Jesus is telling a story about a father who loves you so much and just wants a relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for everyone here this morning in this room. I pray for everybody at home watching online. You know, we're all familiar with this story. and It's very easy to think that there are two people, the, the one who did wrong and the one who did right, the one who ran away and the one who stayed. But in actual fact, as we look at this more closely, as we look at what Jesus was trying to teach, both sons were guilty of distancing themselves from the Father. One in what he did wrong and one in just trying to keep doing right. Maybe we can relate in one way or another to one of these sons. Maybe we're the son who's done some things that we're not proud of, wishes we could take back, wishes we could change. But maybe some of us are sitting here this morning saying, but look how good I've been. And the lesson I think you want us to learn is God that 
all of us have fallen short. None of us will ever be able to do enough good. And in fact, the outcome of the story is that the Pharisees plotted to have Jesus killed, but because Jesus was killed, and because he rose again, the story came to full conclusion, because now we can have a relationship with you through Jesus, through the Son who was sacrificed in our place. So God, I pray for everyone here this morning, everyone watching online, that we would find our way home to that true relationship with the Father who is seeking us out and loves us so much. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.